Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, Happy New Year. It's so good to see you guys today. Before I get into the talk, let me just say something about next weekend's service. You're really going to want to be here because you're going to see the presentation of the checks to all the organizations that we partner with in our Project Generosity uh, offering. And I challenged you in this uh, offering to break last year's record, which was a half million dollars. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to give you the number because we don't know the final number yet. But let me just say this, you didn't just break last year's record, you crushed it. And so, uh, (laughs) trust me on this, you're gonna wanna be here to see the presentation of those checks to the organizations. Well, I wanna talk to you today about why New Year's resolutions don't work and how 2022, that's not easy to say, is it? how 2022 and every other year can be different. So let me, one more time, let me give the title of today's talk, Why New Year's Resolutions Don't Work, and How 2022 and Every Other Year Can Be Different. Our series is called, I Wish I Could Blank. So on our first weekend together in this year, I wanna ask you the question, not uh, what's in your wallet, but what's in your blank? What do you have in your blank when you, you say, I wish I could blank? Because yeah, someone could say, well, Mark, I, I, I don't have anything in my blank because I don't need to change anything in my life. You're in the wrong church. <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is not a, this is not a rest home for, for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. So uh, <laughs> such churches do exist. But if you don't have anything in your blank, then you're, you're too good for us. I can tell you that. So what is in your blank? I wish I could save money. I wish I could get in shape. I wish I could be on time. I have friends that need to have that in their blank. I I wish I could forgive. I wish I could break free from a toxic relationship. I wish I could lose weight. I wish I could get out of debt or at least start getting out of debt. I wish I could stop trying to please hurtful people. I wish I could move on. I wish I could tell the truth. I wish I could read more. I wish I could get closer to God. I wish I could pray every day. I wish I could love more. That's that's in my blank. I wish I could live out the life that I know God wants me to live. So those are just some things. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's more of those. Maybe it's something else that I haven't even mentioned. But here's the thing. Even if we don't think we can possibly change or grow, just the prospect to be able to live life that way with whatever was in your blank being being changed, it it excites you. It's January. Not only do we see this, feel this season for change, but we have this sense of how wonderful it would be if our life could be different because whatever was in our blank is satisfied. But if you've lived for any length of time, as bright as that prospect is, lurking around in the corners of your mind, there are ghosts. The ghosts that tell you that when March comes, you'll be right back where you were before you had these great resolutions. 
And you'll find yourself singing the song that perhaps you've sung in the past. Well, when January was here, I had worthy goals, high hopes, but by March I had defeat. So let's, we've opened that can, let's talk about it. What are some of those ghosts that are scaring us right now, even though we want to experience change? I think the first one is the obvious one. I tried this before and I failed. Or it could be ghost number two. I'm not strong enough. I, I, I want to do whatever it is that's in my blank. I've wanted to do it before, but I tried it and I failed. So consequently, ghost number two is in my mind. I'm not strong enough. I, don't, I didn't have the right plan. I don't have the people to encourage me. I'm just not strong enough. Or it could be ghost number three. And when I ask you what's in your blank, you, you said to yourself, there's so many of those changes that I need to make in my life that it's just overwhelming. I, my wife, Mary Alice, always reminds me that she doesn't love to shop because she says when I go in there, there's just so much stuff there, it's overwhelming. So we shop online and I go out on the porch and every day feels like Christmas. <laughs> we both do that. Well, if it is ghost number three, and there's so much stuff that's in your blank, I have some great news for you today. And it's probably true for all of us. I think, I think all rational people would say, Mark, there needs to be a lot of, a lot of changes made in my life. And this series is about that. But what's interesting is it, this series actually focuses on the idea that there are a lot of things that need to change in our lives. In fact, this series may be totally different from what you might have anticipated when you saw the title, I Wish I Could Blank. Because you might have thought, well, I'm, I'm going to come in here and he's going to have a talk about money. He's going to have a talk about health. He's going to have a talk about spiritual life. And so he's going to talk about all these changes one by one. And we're going to be on a different subject. I've been a leader for a lot of years. I mean, I've had the privilege of serving New Spring Church as leader for almost 37 years. And I've studied this change thing a lot. And anybody who knows the history of New Spring, you know that the one, the one constant at New Spring is change. It's the one thing you can count on. I, I, I just, I have my, for, okay, I'm going to find out who was really old here. Many years ago, there was a movie called The Blues Brothers. Okay. There's a scene in the Blues Brothers where the good old boys in this Winnebago get their accelerator glued to the floor. Whenever I think about myself as a leader, that's, that's what I'm like. My accelerator is glued to the floor. And so because of that, I've studied this change thing a lot for my own personal development. And, and I've come to the conclusion that we tend to do it wrong. We tend to make changes a la carte. Well, this is not right in my life, so I need a plan for this. Well, this is not right in my life. I need an app for this. This is not right in my life. I need a plan for this. It's like we approach the changes that need to be made in our life on an a la carte basis. I'll come back to that in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to spend a lot of time today showing us why that approach will never work. And even if I don't get into the metrics of change, which I really probably won't get into today, we're going to be focusing on the problem. At least, if nothing else, I think a lot of us are going to walk out of here overcoming a lot of stored guilt. Because if you have that idea that you've got to have a solution for each individual problem, a different solution, you're going to fail. And because we fail in that, in that concept, then 
we typically have a lot of guilt over that. So if nothing else, you're going to walk out of here and say, I've dealt with a lot of stored guilt. Here's the question. What if instead of being overcome by that a la carte approach, what if we personally owned the keys to make any change? In other words, instead of trying to come up with a different solution for every problem, what if we understood that there's this internal culture that we could have where we would actually own the keys to make any change in any environment, in any situation? What if your internal settings changed so that you could apply them to whatever? Well, while you're thinking about that, let me take a few minutes to talk to you about this series. I don't even know how many weeks it's going to be yet. Typically, I know exactly how many weeks a series is going to be because I've got the next series planned to start on a particular date. I don't even know how long this series is going to take. And here's the thing I need to let you know. It's going to be like one talk. It's going to be like one message. The entire series is going to be one message, and you'll need to hear it all. I don't even know how far we're going to be able to get today. And someone will say, Mark, you're just trying to get us to come back for all the services. Well, I plead guilty. <laughs> but actually, you're going to need the parts. You're going to need all the parts to assemble this machine. Number two, this is typically a challenge, but it won't be a challenge for new springers because I know who you're like. We have to be intentional. A half-baked approach is for losers. We can't be half-baked about this. It's, it's, if, we, if we really want to experience change in our lives, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen if we're lazy about it. But you, you're not losers, so consequently, I know you understand that. But we do have to be intentional about this. And then here's the third thing. Any change that needs to happen in our lives, you cannot do this without engaging your creator. See, here's the thing. Your creator designed you. Your creator designed the rest of the world, both the natural world in the human world. So consequently, your creator owns all the patents. He owns all the designs. I remember I was doing a dialogue with the Student Non-Theist Society at Wichita State University. And I remember saying this in that three-hour dialogue. I, I had said to them, whenever you lose the creator, you lose the design designer. And when you lose the designer, you lose the design. And when you lose the design, you lose functionality. Good morning, America. How are you? So if you want to experience change, you can't do it without engaging with your creator. And then in line with that, number four, we're going to look at some scriptures. And here's the thing. I, I know oftentimes when I'm doing a series, I throw a whole lot of scripture at you and, and for good reason. But in this series, what we're going to do, this may surprise you, we're going to tend to go over the same scriptures over and over and over because I want you to own them personally and I want you to see how they apply to the situations that need to change in your life. We're going to start with three scriptures and I'll probably bring these to you every week because to me they provide the spine for change. Here's the first one. In Philippians chapter 4, the 13th verse, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, there are really three components to that statement, even though it's one sentence. I can do all things, not by myself, through Christ, but I'm not strong enough. Who strengthens me? So today, I want you to feel that. And, and every week, God willing, I'm going to bring that to you. I mean, when you look at what's in your blank, you need to see that scripture. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Verse number two, Proverbs chapter 16, verse three, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans, hello, will succeed. So in other words, just as I shared with you a few moments ago, you can't do this by yourself. So whatever it is that you need to change in your life, when you, when you determine what it is and we start getting into next week, the metrics of change, how you can become a change agent instead of having necessarily a plan for individual changes, you're gonna to wanna to say, this is God and me. I'm not by myself here. I have the creator of the universe working with me. And so in this process, whatever it is, if it's something as simple as losing weight or if it's something as high as growing close to God, you're gonna say, I'm not in this by myself because I'm gonna commit this whole thing to the Lord and it's the Lord and me. We're gonna do this together. And you promised that your plans will succeed. And now the third verse. And really there's a sort of progression with all these three verses. My dad taught this to me when I was a kid, and he said it over and over and over. Somewhere up in heaven, my dad is nudging my mom saying, I taught him this. <laughs> God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, a lot of us, when we approach the idea of change, it's those ghosts that scare us. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Well, fear is like I'm afraid to get started. Now, notice this. He's not given us the spirit of timidity. Now, timidity is different from fear. Fear is like, as I said, I don't want to get started. Timidity is like, well, I'll put my toes in the water and I'll dabble a little bit. Hey, success in life is not for the dabblers. Timidity is like, well, no, I probably should make this change and I'm just going to kind of toy with it a little bit. Hey, if you got a spirit of fear, God didn't give it to you. If you're looking at what needs to change in your life and it's intimidating you, God didn't give you that spirit. If you're just like, well, I, I, I just think I might think about it a little bit. You didn't get that spirit from God. What spirit did God give us? God gave us a spirit of power. Power. I mean, here's, here, if, if, if I understand scriptures right, and I believe I do, whatever needs to change in my life, I need to recognize I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know what that strength is going to amount to? It's going to amount to power and love. Do you know one of the things that can mess up any change is selfishness? We don't normally put those two things together. But God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power and love. And hello, self-discipline. My suggestion is that we memorize these. It'll only take you a few minutes. But just put them somewhere where you go every day, like the refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, just tape it to the back of your iPhone. Okay, you ready to start this trip? Okay, let me ask you again. Are you ready to start this trip? Yeah. All right, here we go. That's good. I wish I could blank. We're headed there. If you'll work with me for the next however many weeks this series is, we'll get there. Today we're asking the question, why, do, why don't New Year's resolutions work and how can this year and every other year be different? Okay, this whole series is like a trip. I'm not trying to be existential with you, but it's kind of like a journey, okay? okay. What do you have to do if you want to uh, take someone someplace? You have to pick them up where they are, right? You have, to, you have to start with where they are and then take them to where they need to go. So that's what we want today. Where are we? We're in January. January feels like it calls for a season of change. 
I feel that. I think you probably do too. I mean, you know, we just come off the Christmas season and, and so there's just something I can't, I can't even understand necessarily why it is, maybe something deep foundational inside of me that when January 1st rolls around, it's like, okay, I want to talk about, think about what I need to change. Why is that? Why do we feel that? It could just be there's a natural rhythm to life. I know my staff <clears throat> gets tired of hearing me say this, but I always say there's a rhythm to the year. When I think about the series that I bring to you, there's a rhythm to the year that syncs up with those series. So it just could be the natural rhythm of life. It's a new year, new start. But for many Americans, I think it's something else, or at least something in addition. January tends to follow a season of excess. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us have to say, in the last season that I just got through with, I spent too much money. And this last season, in spending too much money, I put too much on plastic. Or I, <laughs> let's just all look, be real, straighten our seats and not give indication that we're processing this next one. We ate too much. <clears throat> and some of us drank too much. And then in more extreme cases, the behavior got a little rec reckless when too much got drunk. And we wake up in January, on January, at least on January 2nd, we notice that our clothes and our bank account are tighter than they were before the season. So a season of discipline seems to be the antidote <clears throat> to a season of excess. You know what happens. We start looking for a diet to lose those pounds. More exercise equipment and gym memberships are sold at this time of year than any other time of the year. I mean, look at the commercials on television. How, how many are about diets and exercise equipment? I know this. I know I'm always amazed at the parking lot at the Y in Andover in January. I mean, I drove over there like on January 2nd, and I could not get a parking place. But in March, I can park anywhere I want to park. <laughs> and so what happens is in this season of of discipline that follows this season of excess, we say, well, I'm going to resolve to change. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to read more books. If I'm a Christian, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to attend church more. I saw a great post on Facebook, Facebook this week that said, if you see church as optional, if you see church as optional, your kids may see it as useless. Hmm. It follows. A season of excess followed by a season of discipline. And our conscience tells us that it's right because these are good changes that we want to make. But why do most of these intentions get lost and abandoned by March? This is going to be a surprise, I think. The reason we have for trying to change is the reason we fell. And that sounds backward, doesn't it? I mean, after all, if I have good intentions, how could the reason I want to change be the reason why I fell? I mean, if I, if, if I think a season of discipline should follow a season of excess, why would that be a failed strategy. Oh, work with me for a second. What do seasons do? They pass. They pass. That's what's wrong with fad diets. What's wrong with fad diets is we trade one season, excess, for a season of extreme denial. Well, that season's gonna pass like the season of excess passed. You know, I, I must have lost 8,000 pounds in my lifetime. 
And you know, there's these fad diets. You know, can you remember the one where it's like, you can't eat carbs, all you can eat is, and just, you just eat meat. And so, you know, you're told, okay, if you buy a hamburger, don't eat the buns, just eat the meat. And then there were the car- high carb diets that said, don't eat the meat, eat the bread. What I've discovered in life, this is an axiom that you can count on. Whatever it is, you cannot have the whole hamburger. <laughs> I know for a fact. <clears throat> Okay, we've asked the question, why do New Year's resolutions don't work? And, and the answer comes back, okay, well, the problem is seasons. We're, we're trading a season of excess for a, 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 a season of extreme denial. But that, okay, please, that is just the tip of a way bigger iceberg. Drum roll. What's the opposite of temporary, and I don't mean and linguistically, of course, the opposite would be permanent. But I want to talk to all of you who own, an, own a business or you lead a successful team. What is the op- opposite of temporary seasons? The opposite is culture. Culture. When I refer to culture here, I'm talking about the internal settings, settings with which we approach all problems or challenges. Because here's the thing. Whether we're talking about a large organization, whether we're talking about government, whether we're talking about an individual person, we either solve problems on an a la carte basis of, I need, here's a problem, we need to plan for this, here's a problem, we need to plan for this. We either approach solving problems that way or we have an internal culture, a grid through which we run every change. I don't know if it's just because I'm an old man now, but just about every day of my life, my phone's going to ring. And on the other end of the line is a leader of a church, a leader of a Christian organization, sometimes a leader from the corporate world. And I'm going to get asked this question. How do we fix this problem? And so I'll just give them what I've learned through the years, whatever I've learned about that particular situation. And by the way, the problems that face human beings are the same pretty well in all these situations. I remember sitting in a conference room in Northwest Arkansas. There were about 12 of us. There were leaders of religious organizations. The CEO of Walmart US was in the room. I was, I remember we were right there at the headquarters of Walmart and they had the coolest little neighborhood market there. It was so cool. So I asked him, I said, how long would it take to get one in Andover? Uh, <laughs> and then Donnie Smith, who was CEO of Tyson was there. They had a, have a great internal culture there. Donnie's no longer with them. But one of the things I was intrigued by was the problems that they face at Walmart were pretty much the problems that that we face. So the people that are successful in life, they understand that what we have to have is an internal governing culture. And so oftentimes when someone is calling me on the phone, I recognize they don't have an internal governing culture they're trying to solve this problem or that problem. A lot of times they'll say, how do I fix this problem? And I'll tell them and they'll like, and I'm I'm familiar with this. While I've got you on the phone, we have another thing that needs to be solved. And real quickly, I'll understand, I probably cannot help them because they do not have an internal governing culture. They are trying to solve their problems one by one, separated completely on an a la carte basis. Remember a few moments ago? I shared with you that one of the reasons, one of the ghosts that we deal with is that we just have so many things that need changing 
that we give up and we say to ourselves, there's no way that I can come up with a different plan for each one of the problems. And you're so right. And it's not your fault that you can't. What I'm about to say is huge. And I hope I haven't gotten you so far out in the weeds that I'm losing you. I've realized there are organizations I can help and there are organizations I can't. And I've learned that the same thing is true for individuals. There are people I can help and there are people I can't help. What, what goes wrong with the organizations and the people I can't help is when it comes to needed change in their lives, <clears throat> they want to turn their brains off and turn mine on. They want me to think for them. And what happens in that scenario is when I give them what I've learned through the years, what I'm giving them is what I would do in their situation. And it isn't long before they'll give up pretty quickly on the advice because after a while, their situations will be enough different that they will say, it doesn't make any sense. Let, let me just take kids ministry because you're familiar with that. That's one of the things I talk to church leaders about all, all the time. In fact, we have people, we have teams that come in here almost every week to look at kids world. <clears throat> Because you know, <clears throat> if you're familiar enough with our culture, you'll know that kids, kids ministry is job one. So <clears throat> when I get a call, I'll try to explain to them how to resolve the questions. Oftentimes what happens is they'll come in and they'll see our campus and their eyes will glaze over. <clears throat> and they'll go back and they'll try to approach their situation with my thinking. And it isn't long before they throw it down and it doesn't work. But what I do notice is oftentimes I'm able to talk to a, a church, talk to their leadership team, and they'll get the fundamental concepts and then they will own them personally. I remember several years ago, I was, um, I was in Ohio and I was with a pastor of a church that we had helped. They had sent their teams in. I'd talked to them. I'd spoken for them a number of times. He took me out to lunch at their mall. We sat in the in the food court in the mall. And I looked up and there were light boxes around the food court and one of them was Cosmo, which is the character that we created for Kids World. And I thought, no wonder it's working for them because they took the concepts, but they owned them personally and they didn't switch their brains off and try to turn ours on. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> are you still with me? Because this works for us individually. Take a fad diet, for instance. Fad diets do not work because they never become part of our internal culture. In a fad diet, I turn off my decision maker and I turn someone else's on. And sooner rather than later, I throw it down because it's not sustainable. And then the worst part about it, we think it's our fault. When we fail, we just say, well, I guess I lack self-discipline. I, I bet I'm talking to somebody here today who doesn't even try anymore. You're beating yourself up and you shouldn't. You're believing things about yourself that you shouldn't believe. And Satan will help you with it. Remember the devil, the word devil means accuser. Some of you walked in today and when you saw the title of the series, it's like, I just don't know if I can sit through this sermon because I failed at so many things. But the problem is you fail trying to correct the situations in your life with somebody else's thinking. Without that culture that governs every situation in our lives, we're just reacting. 
I need somebody to make me lose weight. I need somebody to manage my time. I need somebody to make me pray consistently. I need to find the right program, the right app. Those things can be helpful. But as long as we're wanting somebody else to do our thinking for us, we'll just always be reacting and never will become part of our internal culture. I think one of the benefits of being my age is I've watched how much our culture and our country has changed. You and I are being groomed to approach problems this way. It wasn't always this way. When I was a young person, I mean, the, the word on the streets was think for yourself. Now, the word on the streets is groupthink. <laughs> I cannot explain to you. I mean, I sort of came up in the days of the hippies and all that. That would have been anathema to the hippies. Groupthink was think for yourself. But now we're being coached, we're being groomed to live this way. I mean, and look, look, look at politics. Why is politics dysfunctional? Because there's no culture. There's no internal culture that governs everything. We're governed by polls and social media and what are the responses. And it's why it's hopscotch. And here's the thing. If you have a strong internal culture, Washington, D.C. will make absolutely no sense to you. It isn't just politics, though. It's Madison Avenue. And I'm going, to get real, I'm going to get real blunt with us today. Madison Avenue grooms us to spend money recklessly. Madison Avenue grooms us to become obese. I mean, again, I'm just giving away my age. I, I go out to the restaurants. I cannot believe portion sizes. They weren't always like this. I go out and I order an entree and I'm like, where's the family of eight that's going to come help me eat this? And on top of that, you know, we're not taught nutrition anymore. I mean, you know, we're in the Madison Avenue puts the, the more salt, the more fat, the more sugar they can put into things, the more they know we're going to become addicted to those things. We are being groomed to just react and not have an internal culture. We're, we're groomed to sit in front of an electronic device and become sedate. See, the thing of it is, they can make money off of you if you let them do your thinking for you. They'll coach you to just react. Well, I need to close. And I recognize and I understand all too well, I'm closing at a point that's not satisfactory. Because all we've done is identify the problem. I wanted to bring you the first, I wanted to identify the problem and then bring you the first Internal metric that will allow you to approach change. It's huge. It's great. I don't have time. I'm going to bring it to you next week. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. All we've done today is identify the problem. But don't, I think it's important that we do that. Because if we don't identify the problem, then we're going to look at those things that we need to change. And we're like, okay, I need a plan. I need, I need somebody to think for me. I need an app or something. Those are fine. We'll talk about how plans work into this in a few weeks. But the thing about it is, you need to say, you know what? I don't need a plan for change. I need to be a change agent. I need to be a person of change. In fact, I even have a talk coming up called Don't Be Afraid of Radical. I need to get radical about this. I mean, I, I, well, I'll, I'll end with what I started to tell you in just a minute. So let me give you something to work on for the next seven days, even though we haven't really gotten into the series yet. I've talked about the importance of culture. 
And I teach on this with Christian organizations. I teach on it in the corporate world. Culture comes down to one thing. It comes down to identity. Because see, if you don't know who you are, then what you do will never make any sense. Culture always comes down to identity. For some of those of you in the business world, you know the name, you probably know the name Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was, he's called the father of American management. And I think one of the reasons why Peter Drucker's writings in his books were so successful is he kept it so simple, but it was so obvious that he was telling the truth. And when Peter Drucker was called into a corporation or a business to try to help them, you know, get out of their dysfunction, he would always ask two questions. And some of you know the questions. What business are you in and how's business? That's pretty simple. But the father of American management would always ask those questions. What business are you in and how's business? In other words, who are you and what needs to be changed? Well, it's the same thing for you and me. Who are you and what needs to change? So I want to encourage you to do something for these next seven days. This is really important. And you don't have to do this where anybody else sees it. Create a document. For many of us, that'll be an electronic document. I'm old, I love legal pads. I have all the technology for electronic documents and I use it, but I love legal pads. There's something about physically writing on a page that sticks with my brain. It just comes right up my right arm, goes right into my brain. So here's the thing, in the, in the top of the document, write the question, what needs to change? Be honest, again, you, don't, you wanna do this in a way that nobody else can see it, unless you want accountability with someone. What needs to change in my life, and list it. And then draw a horizontal line across at the bottom of that, and then write the question, who am I? I don't know what you'll put there. I think I know what I would put there. I'm a child of God. I'm Mary Alice's husband. I'm a dad. I'm a grandfather. I lead the greatest organization in the world, New Spring Church. I'm also a flawed person. I always joke with you and say I'm certifiably crazy, but um, I do have a few issues. Who am I? And then below that, why don't you just write out those three verses? I. We just said, who are you? I. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to commit my plan to the Lord. I'm going to say it isn't just me. I'm bringing somebody with me on this trip. And when I commit my plan to him, he makes everything succeed. And then I'm going to write, but God has not given me a spirit of fear and a spirit of timidity, but power and love and self-discipline. Well, I... I feel bad. I feel a little insecure about the fact that in this first weekend, 
Oh, I'm also insecure. Did I put that in there on my list? I feel a little insecure that I didn't even get into the help part. But if it's a little dry, then come back next week and we'll, we'll, we'll start on our trip. Let's pray. Oh, before I have a prayer with you. I got, I got to talk about something. Because here's the deal. If it's true that I can do all things through Christ, Christ has got to be in me, right? You know, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, the quintessential change agent is not with you yet. So I, I know someone's going to say, well, Mark, <clears throat> this is my first time at New Spring. You're going to try to get me to join your religion. Well, we don't have a religion. You're going to try to get me to join your church. Well, we'd love to have you be part of New Spring. But you know what? Those things will not, uh, they will not bring Christ into your life. Religions are man-made. See, this thing with Jesus, is he's, it's a personal relationship. It's not a religion. I mean, that's why, like fad diets, religion tends to fail, right? That's why. See, having Jesus in your life is something that's organic. It's spiritual. It's personal. The message of the Bible goes like this. We're flawed, broken sinners. We sin against God. And that sin breaks the relationship between us and God. We're born with that. But God didn't want to leave it there. So you know what he did? He did the amazing. And knowing that we can't live the life that would be holy, he, put his, he brought his son into the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus was not human who became God. He was God who became human. And he lived the life that we can't live. The perfect life. And then he took that perfect life and he laid on a Roman cross and the way God looked at it, all our sins were punished in Jesus when he was on the cross. And that's why when Jesus said it is finished, he didn't mean I'm finished. He just meant God's plan was finished. And three days later, oh boy, I hope God kept this on videotape. I feel sure we're going to get to watch this when we get to heaven. Three days later, he got up in his own grave without being touched laid his grave clothes aside neatly, if I have any teenagers who are listening to me. <laughs> laid them, folded them up and laid them aside. Blew open that stone and walked out under his own power with the keys of death and hell. And that leaving, Jesus said, I quoted this seven times in our Christmas Eve service, I'm, I'm knocking at the door of your life. And if you'll just open the door and let me in, I'll come in. And you'll be forgiven of all your sins. You'll have everlasting life. And I'll tell you, you'll be able to say, according to Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you won't be alone anymore. That's not religion. That's a relationship. You say, Mark, 
What do I have to do to do that? Well, the scripture is very clear. Yeah, there, uh, the Bible says believe. Believing involves three things. It involves, first of all, you got to have a message to believe. You can't believe if there's not something to believe. There's, I just gave you the message. That's the message. There's got to be a message to be believed. Number two, mental agreement. I may not understand it all. I agree. And thirdly, I trust. I tell a story in the little book I wrote. There's an old story that preachers used to tell when I was a little kid. There was a guy who was walking a tightrope across a high space. He walked across the other side. Everybody applauded. Then he pushed a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And he asked the audience when he pushed it to the other side, how many of you believe I could push a man in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? Everybody raised their hands. He said, okay, now I need a volunteer. <laughs> the third part of believing is getting in the wheelbarrow. I trust. Jesus, I believe. I agree. I heard, I heard the message. I believe the message. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. I trust. may not understand. We never will. It's a miracle. But I trust. Okay. Like I said, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But before I pray for you, I'm going to pray with you. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I want that to happen in my life, I'm going to pray a prayer because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to pray this out loud. It's just... You can pray it silently. The Lord knows what's going on in your head right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. If you've already invited Jesus Christ into your life, pray for those who are about to do that right now. They're about to make the biggest decision they've ever made. All right, if you want to pray with me, here we go. I'm going to pray this prayer slowly, line by line. Put a little pause at the end of each line. You can decide if you want to say this to God. And again, you can pray it silently. Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, <clears throat> I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, if you just prayed for me, now I'm gonna pray for you in just a second in regard to change. I'm gonna get there. But if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's ready for you. It's out there in the lobby if you're watching here on, at New Spring on our campuses. It's got a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from, and a book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions. I have ADD. Don't write long books. There's also a journal in here, which that would be great and handy for the beginning of the year, and some coupons. No agenda. We just, it won't cost you a penny. We just, we just want to take your first step with you following Jesus. So here's what you need to do to get it. Just take out your smartphone and text the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And then when you go out there in the lobby, you'll see little stations with, this, with these colors on it. Those are info centers. And if you'll just go back there, they'll, they'll have this ready for you. And you say, Mark, I don't have my phone. Just go back and say, I pray with Mark. That'll work. And they'll give this to you. I promise you, no hidden agenda. We'll... We'll just want to give it to you. It's our way of saying 
We want to walk with you. All right. Now, for all of us who need to make change this year, we haven't even gotten into how to do it, but let's pray. Let's pray for each other. Okay, would you bow your head with me? Lord, we all need to have a lot of change in our lives. This is the time. This is the season. Lord, we can't do it without you. So help us, I pray. Oh, God, we're serious. This is different. This is different from any other year. Oh, Lord, we're ready to make change in our lives, but we have to have you. So please help us and direct us and may your Holy Spirit strengthen us that when we tend to cave and move on to other things, we'll remember that with you, all things are possible. Help everyone listening to my voice and Lord, meet us at our point of greatest need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening this morning. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.